Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show, tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show, you can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com. What's up, everybody? I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. And this is the Magic Mike Show. That's the wrong. There it is. There's the right overlay. Uh, Magic Mike Show, episode 437. Mr. Summich. All-Star Weekend? Huzzah! Hey, there you go. Yeah, I had my uh, the greatest all-star of them all, Wayne Gretzky. I got his jersey on. Uh, I don't have a Dylan Larkin jersey, and in, in that I didn't feel like showing up with the Red Wings uniform right now. The way they're doing, how are you doing? Ah, doing well, man. Uh, it was a fun time to be down at Gulfstream. I love going to that racetrack. It's one of those smaller tracks. It's kind of in a mall. Really weird feel, but it, because of the size, it's a lot of fun. You can get around it very quickly, and it never gets too crowded. Like, I'm an anti-crowd person. So it's, it's nice when you have the space to be able to move around and enjoy a race like that. Uh, really cool being next to the paddock as well for the final three races, getting to see the horses go by. I had a great time there with Dave Yar's guy. It was fun to jump in with uh, you and Aaron doing the live show for Racing Dudes as well. So a lot of fun for the weekend. Uh, frustrating weekend. Really close to a monster score on Friday. Saturday, we're going to go over it. Yeah, just one of those days, right, where we talked about it going in. You had the opportunity to have these wild results, and hopefully you were on the right wild horses. Uh, I was on a couple of them, but I wasn't on enough of them to make it pay off. And then Sunday, wildly frustrating to have the 22-1 to shot going short to start out that pick six. And Mrs. Astor, who if you follow up the stable, if you follow the stable up segment, I do, uh, specifically mentioned, hey, this is the one I'm most excited to bet back. Have her singled at the end at 5-1, to and she wins for fun at 5-2. to Happy to at least have a win bet there, but... Man, it, you feel like you left one on the table there when you have the the twenty-two to one shot early, the, the horse you really like in the big field late, not able to string the rest of it together. I know that uh, you had you and Aaron had a, a a very strong back and forth on Sunday during that late pick six. And a friend of the show, JD Fox, he would hit five of the six. So I didn't see anybody who did uh, that I knew personally who got it, but I did see it paid uh, what sixty-eight hundred, I think, was the final payout on that. So. Yeah, um, there were some, you know, two to one in there. There was one favorite that won it sub two to one. So if you, if you got to the seven in the first leg, it felt like very, very hittable for almost $7,000. So tough one to uh, to swallow there because it would have been nice to close out the weekend with a big score. <laughs> All right. Well, we've got uh, a bunch of stuff we're going to talk about. Kentucky Derby, Kentucky Oaks wise. And then Mike was there at Gulfstream Park. So we'll get his full thoughts on the Pegasus World Cup and all the wacky stuff that happened there on Saturday. Let's get into it, buddy. Riders up. Mike, well, first race we'll talk about, of course, we have to go to uh, the Grade 3 Southwest Stakes Saturday at Oakland Park. This was race 10 going a mile on the 16th. It ended up being a very rainy, sloppy day. Uh, luckily, you did not have this kind of weather at Gulfstream, but uh, it was a very messy. Speed was seemed to be favoring pretty well for the most part uh, on the main track there. Uh, what were your overall thoughts here on Arabian Night in the Southwest Stakes? Uh, tough to take a ton away from this race. Uh, obviously not too much behind them. Jace's Road and Corona Bolt, who we thought were going to be kind of those two horses that could, could show up and, and really challenge Arabian Night, never really did. My, my biggest takeaway here, and I thought it was really impressive how comfortably Arabian Night went 22-4 and four to open up this race. I mean, just really high, natural, fast cruising speed, something we've seen in Baffert horses that have won the Kentucky Derby before. Obviously, Medina Spirit was able to do it. American Pharaoh was able to do it. Justify was able to do it. Seems like a similar early cruising speed here from Arabian Night. 
That being said, I saw some things down the lane I didn't like, and we talked about this horse paddling before. It seemed like that paddle effect was in full effect here. Uh, so I don't love the action, the way the horse moves, um, and a little concerned how we did slow down more than we've seen some of the other top Bafford slow down toward the end of a race like this in the past. But a good stepping stone for Arabian Night. Really interesting that he went out to this race. I know it's $750,000, so obviously a huge purse there for the winner. But we've not seen Baffert send his best out there before. I'll be interested to see if we see a barn change sooner rather than later to an East Coast trainer because of this move. So going to have to keep an eye on Arabian Night, what he does. Uh, but again, I mean, there just wasn't that much behind him, right? Red Route 1 ends up running second. Frosted Departure basically goes gate to wire in that second slash third spot, the only one to try and press Arabian Night. So... Takeaways here, Arabian Knight did what he was supposed to do, didn't beat too much, impressed with the high cruising speed, not overly impressed with how he came home, though. You're on mute. Oh, damn it, I hate I didn't even remember doing that. Sorry. Do you uh, when, <laughs> when you have a horse like Arabian Knight that goes gate to wire, one thing you taught me early on is uh, look to see how the other speed did, and you see that the third-place horse, El Tomat, faded way off. Longest shot on the board is 71-1. to 1. Uh, Not too surprising there. Uh, Frosty Departure, I thought, ran a pretty good race overall, considering he was chasing Arabian Night through some pretty strong fractions. Clearly not going to be a grade one type horse quite yet for Kenny McPeak, but uh, off of his Renaissance Stakes win over this part or over this track going a mile, I thought it was pretty decent. One to watch. Red Route One surprised me. Uh, he was very far back. Uh, you know, he was over five lengths behind Sun Thunder, who was second to last in that race down the backstretch, but he ended up closing very strong. Aaron, I thought, made a great comparison. He reminds him of uh, looking at Lee. Remember the horse ended up finishing fourth in the Kentucky Derby, but you never could bet him to win. But, boy, that horse had a motor and a kick like a mother. So uh, watch out for him as things go longer. It's interesting, Mike, that Red Route 1 showed up here at Oakland, and I think now will definitely stay here uh, because at the end of his two-year-old year, Asmussen was talking about sending him out to the Saudi Cup – and or, sorry, the Saudi Derby and then the UAE Derby. Uh, he might end up going that way, but – Usually when a trainer like Asmussen, who doesn't usually send his best three-year-olds over to Dubai and Saudi, when they hear them say that, you don't really get a whole lot of confidence. But I think Red Route 1 surprising him a little bit. Yeah, well, we'll see. This race to me, again, outside of Arabian Night, doesn't seem like it's that deep. Good. I, I got to give a, Aaron a shout out. He called uh, this exact on Dudes Who Bet Daily, paid $11.70 mm -hmm. for Arabian Night over Red Route 1. Uh, interesting that Hit Show scratched out of here. I think Hit Show would have been the other real contender here to kind of get up and pick up the pieces uh, running into that pace. We'll see what Asmussen does with this horse. We know it's not his best three-year-olds. And we know that with the contingents in the Baffert and the Cox Barn, you're going to have horses going all over the place from those two barns and competing for points. So going that route may be an easier one to get into the Derby if you're a horse like Red Route 1. However, it does feel like he's going to be able to pick up quite a few pieces in these races and maybe scrap together enough points with seconds and thirds without having to win one of the preps. Uh, there was a lot of comparison through American Pharaoh shortly afterwards and, and all over the weekend. Um, <clears throat> I will tell you that, you know, Bob Baffert called it an American Pharaoh-like uh, race for him. Aaron did a great job over our YouTube channel, just came out uh, earlier this afternoon, actually, uh, really describing you know, what he thinks about the comparisons and you know how much Arabian Night does remind him and doesn't remind him yet of American Pharaoh. But the racing dudes uh, were very close with uh, American Pharaoh as he was going along. Uh, they followed him very closely. They got to be in the winner's circle for the, I think, for the Rebel Stakes. One of those races they were in the winner's circle for it, which is pretty awesome. But um, one to watch moving forward. Uh, I would assume Arabian Night, his next race, I would say he shows back up for the Arkansas Derby. Um, Shadi brings it up. This was only his second career start, and Baffert already has mentioned saying he's going to give him lots of time off until the next race. 
when he ends up paddling as much as uh, it, it makes people like Gabe call him Vacoma 2.0, it maybe it takes him a while to recover from this stuff. But if you space out the races properly, his third start at three and going two turns would be in the Kentucky Derby. I mean, if he's going to peak, that's the spot. But before we get any further, Mike, a big question, and you kind of brought it up, is like, where, where is Arabian Knight going to go? What, what he If he wants to earn Kentucky Derby points, he's got to leave Baffert's barn by February 28th is the last day. So I guess two part, who will be the trainer and who do you think it should be? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> you didn't prep me for this one. That's a tough question. I, I would have an East Coast trainer versus a West Coast trainer. We kind of saw what happened last year with his horses uh, who were all handed toward West Coast trainers. However, someone like, you know, this is kind of a, an odd one, but someone like, well, I wouldn't be shocked if it's Pletcher, to be honest with you. However, that means he loses the horse forever. So that may not be the route they want to go. <laughs> Possibly Mike McCarthy is someone that you consider training him, uh, who has a good East Coast and West Coast presence, has had success with horses um, like this, and it has a lighter stable. So he could take on a horse like this and really focus on them. Uh, I would expect you're going to stay on the East Coast now with Arabian Night, though. So you're probably going to want someone who has the barn space and the, the, the talent out there. To me, Pletcher is the right fit. I don't think it's going to be Pletcher, though, because then he never gets this horse back. Uh, I, I honestly can't remember who brought it up in our uh, live chat when Aaron and I were covering the Gulfstream card in the Southwest. Uh, they said what I thought was a great answer. Give him to D. Wayne Lucas. Send him to the coach, because when Baffert has horses shipped to Oaklawn, this was actually the first time since 2011 that Baffert went to Oaklawn to saddle a horse, which is great. He missed American Pharaoh in the Rebel in, in the Arkansas Derby, oddly enough, but uh, this is the first time he'd been there since 2011. D. Wayne Lucas is who handles all of Baffert's horses. It's the barn when Baffert horses arrived there with Lucas. Lucas's people kind of help take care of it, help out Jimmy Barnes when he travels. So uh, D. Wayne Lucas also at this point, you can tell that dude, if you're Bob Baffert, you're old school, they go back, you know, 40, 50 years in friendship. You can tell him whatever you want him to do, Lucas will do it. I really don't think there's any issue whatsoever of sending him to Lucas because it's not going to be Lucas actually training the horse. It's going to be Baffert doing it. And I would trust, especially after we saw last year, Mike, I would trust Dwayne Lucas to do what Baffert wants more than Tim Yachtin and Sean McCarthy did. Yeah, I, I guess it's possible. Um, I would not send him to Dwayne Lucas, but, uh, you know, th th this is it's interesting because a lot of people in the chat mentioning, you know, this is this is Zandon. He's going to probably send him back to Baffert no, where, no matter where he goes. I'm not sure Pletcher would take him uh, if he knew he was going back. It, it, I don't think I would send it to, to Dwayne Lucas. I would want someone who has a little more success more recently than what we've seen from Lucas. I mean, the, the one horse that pops out of Secret Oath, right, in that campaign that he did. I also want a trainer who's like a speed focused trainer, someone who's going to continue with getting the, the natural speed into this horse. I guess you could say Dwayne Lucas is a trainer that, that does focus on that, but. I would want someone who's had a little more success more recently if I'm looking for a place to fit this horse. I don't think it's going to be Tim Yachtin. I think that experiment failed last year, and I don't think you're going to see a bunch of his top horses go in there. I, it's going to be really interesting where these horses go and, and what barns they ship to and how many actually he decides to move out of his barn, right? Because you've got 10 horses that could possibly run in the Kentucky Derby. It'll be interesting to see which ones do, and that's going to tip the hand of which ones he believes is best as well. Uh Here's another good reason why I vote for Luca. Why there's a good reason to vote for Lucas. He's Teflon. There are very few trainers that you could give a Baffert horse to, and people aren't gonna, you know, question uh, every little. Like if they have, you know, suddenly let's say someone starts winning more in their barn after they've taken on a Baffert horse, there's gonna be a lot of suspicion about that. D Wayne Lucas is like Teflon in horse racing. There's you cannot write a bad story about that without uh, most of horse racing trying to take you down. So 
another vote there uh in the chat a couple of good suggestions and a couple of funny ones uh uh Bria brings up carlos david at Gulfstream. uh if you wanted to send a vapor horse down there um shoddy says send to brad cox he'll just become horse racing thanos uh john ortiz at, at oakland that's uh that's i that's one that i think would be a good one to do but i doubt it happens uh but he is a great trainer especially at oakland kevin knows is jamie ness is available <laughs> The uh, who is that damn horse? Oh, Repo Rocks popped the 111 buyer over the weekend. Uh, it just keeps getting us trainee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How about Love, that? The uh, classic. The the New England Peter Walder that Jason uh, Jamie Ness there. I like yeah, the it, it'll be Mullins. interesting. I like the Jeff Mullins Jr. call out. There you go. Actually, yeah, send him to JM Jr. That would work out too. Great one. Uh, Dennis says he's down if it went to if it went to Carl Broberg. Uh, oof. Uh, Wayne Potts has some free time. That's really not much better of a suggestion. Yeah, and then, oh, of course, there, there's the Diodoro. I can't figure out the link between all these trainers. It just seems Boy, like people are really randomly can't. naming people. Yeah, yeah. How yeah. about that? Lots of random names out there. Uh, let's talk about. Well, uh, that was the only real big uh, Derby prep from, or the only Derby prep from this past weekend, I should say. Uh, let's take a look. I've got some odds here from uh, usracing.com. I couldn't find the Bovada one, but. I also didn't ask you to do it beforehand, and I bet you could have pulled it up real quick. But here's who we have right now. Uh, it's not in really any particular order. Yep, I can't. No, this is this is why we use Bovada. It's at least a little nicer there. Uh, Forte is ten to one. Faustin is sixteen to one. He's coming off of a second place in the San Vicente Stakes, but definitely looks like a two-turn horse. Cave Rock is sixteen to one. If you want to touch him at that price right now, with no works on January as of January thirtieth, I don't know about that. Arabian Night is eight to one. He right now is the lowest price. Who is your current pick to win the Derby looking at these odds, Mike? Okay, that's two different questions. Who is my Sorry. current pick to win the Derby? Uh, I don't think I've seen anyone who's as good as Forte yet. It's that simple for me right now. So I'm, I'm going to go with Forte. If you if you told me to pick one horse, irregardless of the odds, I, I would take Forte at this point. However, I would never bet Forte at 10 to 1 right now. That's why I'm saying those are two different things. I would probably take a shot at extra Anejo at a price. Um, coming back for Asperson, it seems like the reports have been pretty good for him. I think he's sitting at 33 to 1 right now on the board. Uh, so if you wanted a, more of a price, that would be where I would lean. Um, I don't hate instant coffee if he's somewhere on there in the 66 to one range. I know that's where we gave him out last. Uh, now he's 25. So if you got a 66 to one ticket on him, congratulations. Don't bet 25. Um, hey, look, this is very murky right now in the Kentucky Derby because we, the horses that we are excited to see have not necessarily been progressing in the manner we'd like to see them in. We have quite a few horses who have either not been working out or have been very, limited in their workout ability. Uh, Loggins obviously took a major step back. So now we're not going to see Loggins working out until as early as next week when they may try him for the first time. So I doubt he makes the Derby gate. It's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. I, I still like Cave Rock at 25 to one. If we could confirm the horse was going to run anytime soon, but that's become a, a big time question mark there as well. So when I see a bunch of three-year-olds who I'm not that impressed with, I kind of gravitate back to the two-year-old who I thought was the most impressive. And I, I liked Forte up at Saratoga. He's able to get the job done at Keeneland, comes back and wins in the Breeders' Cup. I, until we see Forte falter, it's hard for me to pick against him, even though his style is, is really not what you necessarily want for a derby. Uh, I don't know. Boy, I would love this where we could bet on the Belmont. Dennis says you take victory formation based on the current odds. He is a son of Taprit, uh, who won the Belmont in 2017. Uh, so, and he's also therefore a grandson of Tappet who has sired so many, uh, Belmont winners and then a grandsire of one or two, I believe as well. 
Uh, he's 25 to one to win the Derby. I don't know about that so much. The odds make him enticing. Um, he won the Smarty Jones stakes and we'll see what he does uh, for his next time out here. Tap it Trice is an interesting one. This horse is going to, it's a Todd Pletcher horse that we'll see this Saturday at Gulfstream Park race eight, which actually kicks off the late pick five that Mike and I will be covering on Thursday's Magic Mike show. Uh, but he's actually facing Shesterkin in that one. So a couple of Pletcher Im uh, impressive debut maiden breakers going to face off with each other. Um, we didn't really talk about him. Uh, Corona Bolt, womp, womp, womp. That was not a good uh, Southwest Stakes effort for him. He's sitting at 50 to 1 here. I will just say before Mike talks, um, let Jared know what you thought about Corona Bolt. Go to at racing underscore dudes and just let them know what, you know, oh, Jared, I'm so sorry about Corona Bolt. Or uh, did you think he was as bad or worse if he could have been trained by Roman? Something like that. He'd love to hear from you. Uh, Mike, Corona Bolt, 50 to 1. Any interest on him rebounding? No, not at all. And this is this is back to my previous point. I feel like we're crossing more horses out than we are elevating horses, right? You're crossing out Corona <laughs> Bolt. You're crossing out Chase's Road. I think you cross out Faustin off of that effort because if you're going to be the goods, you got to run better than you did on Sunday. So to me, I've crossed more horses out than I've elevated since this three-year-old campaign has started. And because of that, it pushes me back toward the horses who I thought were the best two-year-olds because those are still the horses that have had the most foundation and that have run in big races already and, and performed well in those. And so it's tough for me to lean back to some of these horses where you're, you're trying to project this improvement and we're consistently not seeing them take a step forward. And then every horse we've discussed is in one of those two mega barns as well, the majority of them uh, being either the Baffert or the Cox barn. And it, it's tough to know as they shake out who was really the best three-year-old, who's maturing the proper way to be able to run the first Saturday in May which ones are going to end up there at the end. So right now, I, I would still lean Forte. It'd be nice to see him back on the track sometime soon. I assume we're going to see him down in Florida. Uh, but it, it's tough because I don't think we have a ton of information. And these small fields are not helping because it makes it so much harder to handicap these smaller fields of, of how good those efforts actually were because obviously you have some funky pace situations and it just it creates a little more chaos in the, in the short run when you're trying to get through it. So for me, you know, I know you're not a big instant coffee fan. I think instant coffee is one of the better three-year-olds we've seen so far this year. And that kind of tells you where I've set the bar <laughs> for three-year-olds we've seen so far this year. Well, I don't disagree with that. I'm just not a fan of him in the in the Kentucky Derby. But he is one of the best-looking three-year-olds. He's backed it up. Uh, his Kentucky Jockey Club effort, um, he backed it up in the Lecompte Stakes. Can't knock him for that. Uh, uh, let's see. Shadi brought up. Oh, whoa, 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 Magic, Magic. You're not getting away with this. Who's your what? current pick to win the 23th Kentucky Derby? Shit. Uh, yeah, you can't put this question up. And, like, I don't get to ask you. That's true. Man, <laughs> at this point, God, I haven't been on the Forte train all year. I keep thinking that he was more of a peaker uh, at two. I'll stay with Cave Rock because, I, you know, I'm hoping and praying that he can get back. Prove to me that you won't get back. Supposedly, he's galloping all over the place and looks shiny as a button. Like, that's great. Can you race? once or twice before the Kentucky Derby here. Um, we'll see. And if the Rebel passes and we haven't gotten K-Rock in the Rebel, I will change my answer. But until then, until he doesn't disappoint me there, uh, I'll roll with K-Rock. Um, it's just right now. It is. And you said it. Like The fact that Instant Coffee is one of the, the best-looking three-year-olds so far kind of tells you where we're at. He's good, not great, um, I think. I did want to bring this up quick. Shadi asked about expect more. This is a Todd Pletcher, still a maiden, but his first start. Uh, if you remember Arabian Nights debut win at Keeneland, this horse also debuted and broke like a mile and a half behind the field. 
and then came flying up like a mother and got third, uh, a very distant third to Arabian Night indeterminately. But a lot of us were saying, well, Arabian Night was great, but watch that, watch Expect More next time out. And he crossed the wire first next time out, Mike. And those meanies down in Florida, they decided this is the time we're going to actually disqualify Ryder Ortiz Jr. on a horse. So, so he got DQ'd back um, from a race. Young Frau ended up winning. It was a pretty nice Judmont homebred for Bill Mott. So, um, you know, not a terrible horse to lose to. Still a maiden, but it is interesting, Mike. Maybe again, because of where the bar is being set, we're getting extra, uh, uh, sorry, expect more at 40 to 1. This is kind of like when Cage Match showed up out of nowhere at 50 to 1. Yeah, well, and we've seen in the last couple of years just how trainers have approached the Derby differently, too, where you're not seeing them run in, in every single prep possible, where we did see that more in the past. So you're having horses that are being taken slower along. Once we get up to the 50 points to the winner, where it guarantees your spot in the Derby and that 20 points per second, where you're most likely going to make the Derby, we're going to start seeing the best efforts. And this is, should become a much clearer picture at that point. That's when we'll start to see horses like Forte and K-Rock hopefully take back onto the track, see where they're at, and give us a better like just a better line to judge from at that point. But horses like Expect More are interesting. I mean, if that, if Expect More can take a nice step forward next time out, be interesting to see if they go to allowance or if they just stay with because yeah, you got you won your maiden, you got the cute, but the horse still crossed first, right? So you you know you can handle that level. Do you just assume that was a victory, step him forward to face winners, and then go into graded stakes company? Yeah, kind of figure out how you want to handle that as well, but. Pretty murky right now when we are, what is it, three months out from the Kentucky Derby? This is this this is a one of those classes where we talked about how, hey, the two-year-olds is a really good class. And now here we are a month into the three-year-old season. We're like, can those two-year-olds come back so we can figure out if this is a good group? Ah, <laughs> uh, I miss Epicenter. That's a, that's I think that's Rocky Planning is oh, I miss Epicenter. Uh let's uh we'll move away from the Derby here. We also did have a, a couple of Kentucky Oaks preps. Uh, over the weekend, oh, before I ask you about that one, uh, I'll play the replays here. Um, Wet Paint, I thought, was a pretty impressive winner at Oaklawn Park. Uh, she's going to break extremely slow, the one horse, but a good dolphin homebred for uh, trainer Brad Cox, Flavian Pratt aboard. Um, I, we'll put this up here. I don't know if you had a chance much to watch it beforehand, but uh, did you get to watch this? And if so, your thoughts on the Martha Washington? I did not watch it, so I'm watching it here in real time and get my reactions. I, I know Wet Paint wins, yeah. so that's interesting, especially since you mentioned Speed Play pretty well, and we're coming from the back of the pack. Um, it's tough to like. One thing I will say: this to me is much more interesting than the, the three-year-old male prep races. You have seen some of these fillies come along a little bit slower, run in more of these races, and take take steps forward. So I'd be paying much more attention to this, especially on the East Coast, because we've talked so much about how the East Coast Phillies have been better than the West Coast Phillies the last few years. I'd expect that to continue. So these type of races uh, make much much more of a difference in my mind in the long-term standings in this division versus into the Kentucky Derby. Um, but yeah, I mean, Wet Paint was one of those who was pretty highly regarded heading into this race. And I'm guessing she makes a pretty big move here because we're a half mile into it. She's still <laughs> sitting there in last. And she had a good feel that she was facing... Um... Excuse me, what paint did win uh break her maiden in her only dirt try. It was second time out as an Indiana Grand. She was second in a Turfway Park synthetic race going two turns where she had the lead and kind of fell off. Um, she's gonna make a very nice move, and you see Pratt starting to work on her, but it also felt like this race, the pace kind of collapsed. Um, they were going uh, a mile and a sixth, same same distance as the boys, and it was over a second slower than what uh Cave Rock ended up completing when he was almost in hand. Velasquez was working on him a little bit, but watch her. She's still coming. She's got a boy. She's a paddler like Arabian night too. Yeah. Uh, that left leg is just sticking. She, she looks like a grinder. Like it just, you know, just kind of going to need every bit of this stretched here to get by. 
Who's the three? The three is defining purpose. That's the Kenny McPeak horse. She was the even money favorite. Uh, she'd won the year's end stakes going a mile on fast dirt by over five lengths. She was also fifth, a very well-beaten fifth in the golden rod to Hoosier Philly. <laughs> What, what are we making? What are we making? Kenny pick McPeak even money these days? What are we thinking, people? Uh, it was a, look. That was a, a nice win. Uh, clearly, a grinding effort. They slowed down quite a bit down the lane, um, and she had the most horse left. These some of these fillies don't necessarily want a mile in the sixteenth right now. We'll just put it that way. And that's that's what I took away from this this effort more than anything else. They, the four is trying to make up some ground late, so it wasn't just the one who was able to close there. Um, but yeah, the good grinding effort. Um, I'm gonna have to step forward off of this though because it's not as visually impressive as you'd expect when someone's gonna win the Oaks. I'm really bad with names, so I apologize. Somebody on the uh, the dudes who bet sports weekly show with Aaron and Papa Dude when they were doing their Oakland preview uh, was raving and was constantly saying how that the six tax was gonna win that race. She's 27 to one. At some point here in the stretch, you had to be thinking, I got it. Sorry, 27 to one. You're thinking I've got a huge ass payday, and then she just. Couldn't hold off the Brad Cox horse, but I, it, whoever you were, that horse, I far outran her 27 to one odds. So uh, hopefully, hopefully you played her across the board. Hopefully you had the exacta because that's a nice exacta when you can run an even money McPeak out of it too. Yeah, let's see what the, uh, let me see if I can find what the exacta paid. Uh, 61.70 on that one and then 14.80 to place. That is, whew, that's a big one there. All right, Mike, let's talk about the uh, the other Kentucky Oaks prep race here. Uh, gave out this one. They gave out the Stone Cold Try and uh, Exacta uh, at RacingDudes.com. Thank you. I was very proud of that one. Uh, it was, you know, the fact that the Baffert horse ends up winning, maybe not so much, but we beat Justique. And why? Watch the six horse. Slow. So damn slow out of the gate. How many gate works have they had? She's now had four races uh, where she's broken slow. All four of them. They never work her from the gate, Mike. Like, can we work her from the gate? See if we can get a little speed in her early. Look at this. I, I think she might just be slow. I think that might just be the problem <laughs> because the sprints, routes, whatever it is, she's she's dead slow and has this just uh, just brutal kick when they're closing. It'll be interesting to see what Justique does when she gets into bigger fields outside of California. Because this is a, a very tough way to win a race when it's a six-horse field coming from that far back. When you have a 12-horse field and you have multiple horses up front that can set up a better pace for you, it can set it up easier for horses to come from off the pace. Obviously, you have traffic trouble in that spot. But here, you just you, yeah, they went 22-2, and two, but everyone up front looks pretty comfortable, all three of those horses. And so no one's really having to press to be able to do that. She's able to make a nice middle move here. I mean, but if they went 47 to that half, so basically a 24 and three uh second quarter mile she must have run a 23 and change to make up that much ground as well so <laughs> she's got to get it motoring a little bit earlier than the rest of the field and my guess is she flattens out a little bit in the lane because of it so still some work to do with her uh, i she's one that if we ever get a price i become much more interested in justique it's these these you're consistently seeing her at i think she was this is the first time she's been over even money you're getting two to one here i would want a bigger number on her uh as the fields get bigger and the races get longer because he her kick was not as uh, massive here as we saw in those one turn races. You see here. So this ends up being the, uh, the same exact exacta from the low South futurity, different trips at the same result where phase ends up beating pride of the Nile. Uh, Justine barely even got up there for third and she was facing uh, the number two horse set the pace went 22 and you know, 22 and two for that opening quarter still almost held on for the third, by the way, still a maiden. Like Justine could barely beat a maiden going two turns like that. Uh, she stopped putting her at two turns. I understand you think you you paid a lot of money for her and you want to go to the Oaks, but 
Um, oh boy. And then Curtis Manlow, unpopular opinion. No one underachieves more than John Sheriffs. I would say, ouch, but there are a lot of high six figure horses that go to him and rarely turn out. You, you know, you don't always have an honor AP. You don't even have a justique. A lot of times that turn out looking like that. There's a lot of high six figure horses that go to a lot of trainers and don't turn out. That's a, that is not just That's a John true. Sheriff's problem. Although when you don't get many of them, it definitely highlights when they, none of them turn out. Uh, all right, so we'll go to, uh, I think I know what the answer is going to be here, but your current pick to win the 2023 Kentucky Oaks, who you got? Justique. <laughs> no, who's your filly? It, it's who's your filly if she runs in the race. She's been by far the most impressive uh, filly that we've seen in this three-year-old class. So in, until further notice, and I would not bet her right now because I'm sure the odds are terrible if you find anything on the Kentucky Oaks, but who's your filly is the horse to beat in this group. And that's I, I think that one's a, a pretty easy one. Let me see if I can find the uh, Kentucky Oaks. Yeah, let's see. Does Bet US actually have one? do. No, they say they do. Uh, I will. I'll keep looking to see if I can find some odds on that one. I'd but, be surprised uh, if right now. They usually put it up two months out. Yeah, the I think Kentucky Derby Future Wager Pool Four is when they also will do. Oh no, I've got. That's 2022. You just have it mislabeled on there. It's still 2022's horses. So it's like, hey, I got one. That's not it. Um, yeah, I'm with you. I, it's got to be Hoosier Philly. Um, I, there was a question. Uh, I can't find it. Uh, who said it? But if she was going to go to the Derby, the way we've seen things go with the Derby trail right now, would you play Hoosier Philly? What, what kind of odds would it take for you? Uh I probably would never play a filly in the Derby simply because of the amount that horse is most likely going to get over bet by the general public. Uh, so I would, I would want like 10, 12, 15 to one. And she's probably going off as your second or third choice, just because of the money you're going to see on her. So I doubt I would ever bet her in that spot. However, uh, you could make an argument. She's had the most impressive three-year-old races of any sex right now. So uh, I, I, for me, it would be very tough to bet who's your filly because I think naturally you're going to see an underlay on her because it's a filly in the Derby. I liked ice dancing a lot. She won the San Inez, but it's it's a West Coast filly. They just are not looking great lately. Um, Julia Shiny, that is Malathat's younger sister, right? Uh, but very slow times, very low speed figures for what she's been doing. Wonder Wheel's the other alternative, right? And she's probably your second choice if there were odds that you can play because that's your Breeders' Cup Juvenile Phillies champion. Uh, she won the Alcibiades at Keeneland. So she's one to watch. But the, the Oaks Trail traditionally, a, as you've kind of alluded to, it takes longer for this picture to become a little clearer. And even then, we get to the the Oaks and we're all like, it's going to be Nest. And nope, it's Secret Oath instead. Yeah, that Secret Oath one was tough, too. It should have been should have been there. I, I still, well, Nest ran a hell of a race, kind of had some traffic trouble. But that move by Secret Oath last year was just monstrous. And it was, you got a nice price because she came out of the Arkansas Derby. They kind of showed, hey, we're going to try this. Didn't work. Got back to the girls. And the Sia switch obviously made a difference, difference as well there. All right, Mike. Uh, now we're going to switch gears a little bit here. Let's head back to Saturday and Gulfstream Park, their 13 race card. Uh, we said it long before the race. The first race went off Saturday morning. Hell of a card, tough card, but a great card betting wise. If you were correct, I, you know, if you're correct, even often enough with the right price, you're going to make up for the, all of the big losses that you had that day. But you were there in person. So I'll go turn the floor up to you. What did you think about the Pegasus World Cup, the race and the day itself? Um, I thought this was an interesting race. Um, I, I, our collector was gettable. You really would have had to stretch and you would have had to throw a couple other horses out. But the races on the page a ways back did fit against this group. And we talked about how 
there wasn't really a superstar in here. I know you love Cyberknife in here. I hated Cyberknife in here. So that if you're not into Cyberknife, it becomes much more of a wide open race in this spot. You go back to what 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 Mott did when he took this horse over from Drury there. You can see back to back to back 100 buyers. The horse was six for eight at the distance going into it. For me, and this is this was a struggle I had, I, I misread the pace in a lot of the races at Gulfstream on Saturday. And when you misread the pace in these big fields, it's very tough to be correct. And then for the one, two, and three horses to basically be one, two, three all the way around, I thought was pretty impressive here. So even with the, a, a decent pressure up front and a decent pace, we still saw the speed held going here mile and eighth. And I think that more is a knock against everybody else. Um, than it is necessarily saying, hey, that the track was more speed favoring here. I mean, this was, we talked about this, clearly a cut below what we've seen from a top echelon talent level in the Pegasus in the past, but easily one of the most competitive runnings that we've ever seen because this is, you know, if you're knocking Cyberknife, this is a grade two field, right? I mean, so it, it's not a group of a bunch of grade one winners, and there are quite a few in there that have won them in the past, but it's not a group where you're like, oh, yeah, that horse is going to dominate, that horse is going to dominate. But look, Bill Mott, he had himself a day. He's been he's been doing very, very well recently. And he, he had a wonderful, if you look at the last calendar year, wonderful campaign over the last year as well. And Art Collector fired off the bench here. And I loved the style of race that Art Collector ran too. Being able to stalk that pace and sit essentially too wide in that second flight right next to White Abar the whole way around and make just a, a dominating move around the turn, I thought was really impressive. Thought the funded one ran well, um, being able to, to kind of get out there and, and not make the lead, which we all thought if the funded makes the lead, he's really dangerous. If he doesn't make the lead, I don't think any of us thought he'd be able to continue to grind on there. But again, nothing kind of came from the back. Um, how about my boy Proxy beating Cyberknife? Got to at least give that one a little bit of a shout out. But White Abario, man, this was really disappointing because the other three horses that were in the top three won one, two, three. White Abario gets a better trip than any of them. Sits right inside, right behind the speed. Yeah. So yeah, I'm done with White Abario for a while. That was that was really disappointing. Yeah, that was he was a huge disappointment and and hard to figure out really what what went wrong. I mean, you you nailed it. He had a perfect trip, and I was sitting there excited for you watching the race. When I saw how bad how how far behind Cyberknife was. I thought, well, that's probably not good for him. He doesn't usually win from that far back. But I, I know Cyberknife was, or sorry, Boy Barra, you loved it 10 to 1, and he ended up going off at 6 to 1. Um, so he was 5 to 1 for all. He ended up going back up a little bit for it. I got excited. I thought maybe you were going to cash a nice big win bet here. And like, all right, well, at least the, the racing dudes, uh, the fantasy belt's going to have another winner. Uh, it'd be nice to have Boy Barrio on there, you know, get another win. But uh, it just didn't happen. I, it's interesting. I thought that from a pace perspective, your top three, other than White Barrio, who, who you know was third or fourth, so three of the top there, four, yeah. they all finish. And it, it I don't want to say it was a, a complete merry-go-round there because we saw a lot of horses come from off the pace, but maybe it's just that this really is a a B level class compared to we you know we've been the the six previous runnings, five of them were like world champions that won this race. So you know we've been spoiled with how good the winner of this race has turned out to be. Uh, this is more of a mucho gusto year and there's really not anything wrong with that it still was a tremendous betting race um baffert didn't win this so I, you know there was a, those of us who don't like baffert there's a little bit nice in that stiletto boy getting third again at 45 to 1 didn't see him setting the pace like that uh mike smith looked like younger mike smith between that and octane going right to the lead and having a really nice effort in the hooper a couple of good rides from old mikey mike 
Yeah, he was he was sending horses on Saturday. He was he was all about the lead, and and that generally works out better for you than being way back. Uh, and then forty five to one absolutely blew up the tri last samurai there. Fifty one to one blows up the superfecta. Uh, so monster prices there in the third and fourth spot. But when you look down this list, and yeah, the one two three horses one two three the whole way around. There's not really a dominating closer between Last Samurai, Proxy, Cyberknife, Skippy, White Barrio, Gitter Number, Simplification, O'Connor, and Riding with Biden. Like, there's not that horse that you're like, oh, he can definitely come from off the pace and make some noise. And it's, you know, this is definitely red board handicapping. But you look back at it, you're like, okay, yeah, no, I, I can see why this race ended up the way it did. Um, would have been nice to have our collector at 16 to 1. And the morning line, honestly, kind of flew, or it caught me a little bit off guard. Because if you go down to Art Collector, if I remember correctly, he was single digits in the morning line. So then you have this this jump up there to 15 to 1. Uh, that, that kind of injected some value in the price when you saw that number of 10 to 1, so just outside of it. Um, but again, you got to give credit to Bill Mott. He had this horse ready to go, ready to roll off the bench, and it was just very impressive. I mean, just really professional effort. Going to be interested to see what we get from our collector moving forward, who's now earned over $4 million in his career, by the way. I meant to check on that. He was at 2.3 or 2.6. Going, Yeah, you're right. He just a tad over four million um there also i think it was blood horse who did the special last year uh bill mott's um is she the groom irma is her name the old lady's been with bill mott's barn and with his family for decades and decades and there was a great video uh, about her her dedication to the mott family it's extending beyond the barn our collector was her boy when asked who her favorite horse in the barn was you know i almost a year ago you know seven eight months ago she was saying it's our collector our collector so uh, she got to be in the winner's circle with him front and center, kissing him on the nose. Uh, so, you know, a feel-good story out of that. And, and yeah, Bill Mott, Junior Alvarado is one of the nicest jockeys you'll ever meet. Uh, all good there. One race prior, the Pegasus World Cup turf, Atone, uh, th there was some tip-off that he might not quite go off at 10-1, to 1, Mike, when uh, – 12-1, to 1, sorry, which is what his morning line was when – well, the Daily Double, he was the lowest payout in the pick three. He was third lowest. Uh, Atone gets the job done. Doesn't go gate to wire. Doesn't sit up front like we thought. He came from about five lengths off. But Ira Ortiz Jr. now wins his third straight Pegasus World Cup turf. What was it like being there for it? Uh, this was an interesting race because, again, I mean, I mean, you have uh, one horse, one more bid, absolutely gun out there. By the way, again, Mike Smith decided to go to the front in these spots, which completely shifts uh, a tone strategy here. And when you watch the race back, just a really interesting race. I watched this one five or six times because you had to kind of find the tone and where he went to be able to get wide. Ivar 100% gets the jump on him. 100% just gives it up in the lane to him too. Uh, this looked like it was finally Ivar's turn to get to the wire and Atone just kind of comes rolling from the outside. Ired did a great job swinging off the rail to five wide essentially to follow that move from Ivar uh, to be able to get Atone home here in this spot. So great ride by by Ortiz being able to save ground both turns and not getting kooky with a tone, which is a big part of this. If a tone goes out and challenges for the lead, never wins this race. He was able to properly assess the situation in race, put the horse in a position to be able to win, and then was fortunate enough to have a kick. I mean, if you had told me that a tone was going to be a length behind Ivar heading into the stretch and have to go catch him, I would have said no shot and, and was able to get it done in this spot. So, Kind of backed into a winner here. It was only too deep with Lady Spice Beer in a tone. So it was nice to, to, to back into this one with a little bit different setup than I expected. Uh, Lady Spice Beer kind of disappointed in. I, I thought she had every chance to be able to win this. And she just didn't have the kick going for home where, you know, she was sitting three wide. Should have gotten first run on two really big prices. Uh, and then she actually re-rallied to go back up for fourth. It looked like she was just going to be forgotten. And when she got in the clear, she kicked a little bit. But 
Kind of a little frustrating uh, end to, to Lady Spite Spears race there. How about we talk about your boy City Man? Can we talk about City Man a little bit? How's he doing? Well, you know what? You're you're kind of going where I was going to head. Chris, my last Julian chat. Can we hurry up and get to the part where we say mean things about Joel Rosario? Chris has been working <laughs> on, but we'll make it a two-parter. Uh, I'm assuming you've got the better stuff, Chris, for uh, for the race previous to this that we'll get to in a second. Looking forward um, to but, about Wakanaka. Oh, Wakanaka. Yeah, that's a that's a bad one there. But yeah, no, let's talk about it. Uh, as Chris said with uh, with City Man, Joel with the rear take back on a speed favoring track and still save no ground move and finish last. Yeah, all right. <laughs> What's going on with this guy? <laughs> I don't know, man. We talked about this on the show, too. The coming out of that 12 poster, you cannot be three wide, three wide on both of these turns to be able to win this race, and you've got to inject City Man more into the race. You go back and watch the win where Joel was riding him last time. He cuts the rail, cuts the corner, gets the dream trip, gets the job done. I mean, what are we doing here? Like, this is exactly what you could not do, and this is the result of it. I mean, you see other horses have some type of kick here. It wasn't like it was the horses that were out front that were able to, to win the race. No, I mean, you, the Atone was sitting in fifth at the half mile. Ivar was sixth. Speaking Scout was seventh. That's where City Man should have been. Not, not ninth at that point, hanging out, or I'm sorry, tenth at that point, hanging out three wide on both turns. It's just, it's not a ride that's going to get the job done. Uh, it's one of the big issues I had with City Man coming into this race, sitting at that price, why I didn't use City Man in this race. I don't trust him to make the right decision. And even with that said, he was able to get the horse in a little bit, but he gave up so much ground to do so that it cost the horse a lot and really having any chance of winning. And then the, the kick just wasn't there. To be fair, City Man probably doesn't win this race no matter how Joel rides him because he had nothing in the lane. Yeah. But the ride didn't help. We'll talk about a horse he did cost the race next race. Yeah. You know what? I, I mentioned this to Aaron, too. Uh, I don't know if you remember, Mike. Uh, it was like December, early December, right? Like maybe the first, second or third day of December in 2021. He got hurt. Rosario did. And like he fell off the horse, got spooked or something at Aqueduct. And he missed pretty much the entire month of December. If he hadn't, he was on track to break the records for most earnings in a year. Um, he was going to possibly break the graded stakes win record, the grade one win record. Overall, stakes when dragon. He was having an unbelievable, like lights out, and couldn't understand how good he was doing in uh, in 2021. Then he got hurt. 2022 was fine, but like, what happened? It was like 13 months ago. This guy was having like a historic, historic season, and and then now we just, you know, because Curse, he just got the yips. Yeah, I mean, we talked about it quite a bit on this show. You get some of the best rides and some of the worst rides from him. And you just have to catch him at the right time. When he's hot, he's as good as anybody else. And I, maybe, and this is like going back to the baseball thing, maybe it's a confidence thing where when you're riding good and you're finding the right holes and everything's going well, you are more aggressive. You're going to take a few more chances because you're feeling good about everything that's going on. It could simply just be a confidence issue right now for Joel, but when when you're seeing him sitting here and you know the 12th post here and you know even the one post in the last in the 13th with on proxy it's harder to work out trips from those spots and and he's struggling to do so when he's in disadvantageous situations whereas for a while there no matter what situation he was in he was giving his horse the best possible chance to win you know we just talked about i read last race and how he had to change his game plan with the tone mid-race and he was able to do so and get the job done. He consistently puts his horses in the best spot to win. That's why he is the best jockey right now in the U.S. Uh, Rosario just can't consistently do that right now. And I would lean toward, you know, like, like I said, confidence more than anything else, where 
you know, and, and it's ironic that this race would have been a confidence shaker right before that next race where we saw him load up on City Man at 12 post. Yeah, let's talk about race 11. The last one we'll talk about today. Uh, the Great Three Pegasus World Cup Philly and Mare Turf. I know, admittedly, I was against Wakanaka. This is uh, this is still the race that knocked me out of the late pick five that we covered. But uh, I was against her, and I kind of had said it was based on Rosario riding her. I never thought he would do what he did here. I'm actually going to pull up the replay because uh, if you missed it or you don't remember um, what Rosario did with the three horse in the far turn, it's just it's unfathomable. I mean, she's got all kinds of run. You got to go back further than this, though, too. That's true. I did start it too close. Yeah. Because if you go back to the backstretch here, you've got four horses up front, and he is alone in fifth. You've got every choice. I'm going to take down the comments. You can kind of, he's got every choice of what he wants to do with this horse. And he waits and waits and waits to get her going. You can see right there the three chiclet moves up. Right here is where you just tilt wide. Just go wide. You got a ton of run. Just go wide. Just go wide. And he just, he never finds his way out of that rail spot. And then you have the four just absolutely back up into you. And all of a sudden, this horse that has a ton of run, you can see he hasn't asked anything yet, is just out of the race. Just dead out of yeah. the race. And, and uh, I would have liked Wakanaka to be more forwardly placed. And then I want her wide so that she can run into this. I mean, you don't, you're going to have to catch the speed. you got to accelerate into the turn. And, and he just, it, it was head scratching as to why you would do that with arguably the best horse in the race. Um, Dennis asks, is there a way to get the video of the Philly and Mayor Pegasus turf? Yes. YouTube.com slash racing dudes. You know this. Go there. I got the replay up there. Yeah, go check it out, Dennis. It is up there if you want to see the full thing. Um, I, we do need to uh, praise trainer Michael McCarthy bringing a California turf horse out to Coldstream Park and winning the Pegasus Philly and Mare turf. Boy, when they said they were trying to replicate the San Diego turf, I thought they meant by safety. Apparently, they meant we want to make a level playing field for the California horses, Mike. Well, she she ran a great race and showed a, a, a little bit new, a, a, some more versatility than we've seen in the past either. She was able to sit behind the speed, get a great trip, get first run, and then say, come catch me, right? And your, your two best horses in here were Wakanaka and Shantasara. Queen Goddess could definitely make a case that she was the third most accomplished heading into this race. Delika probably would make that argument too, but this wasn't a Churchill, so I'm going to throw that one out. Um, <laughs> and she was able to get loose, get first run, and say, come get me. And it's a tough course to come get someone on. So I thought Sayas rode her extremely well, and I, I love the versatility she showed. She did not need the lead. That was a huge thing for her here because there was other pace signed on. And her not needing the lead but still sitting close and having that kick uh, made a massive difference here in this spot. And it was a great day for California turf horses. Speaking Scout, who last two times is out in California promotion, comes in here and runs third in the Pegasus World Cup turf as well. So uh, you got to be impressed with what those California horses did. And this right here is where Sai has made a great decision. Instead of going three wide around Delica, he starts to try and tuck her back right there, heading into that first turn. Yeah. And, and then able to say, okay, I can go get the four. I'm not worried about that. Delica's not at Churchill. Not worried about that. This one horse is 25 to one, supposed to be on the lead. Not worried about that. <laughs> and so you've got the best shot to be able to kind of keep this on here. And the, and the three horse who's sitting there, uh, you know, um, Wakanak who's sitting there in fifth, doesn't make that early move. And it's 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 curtains because she gets the jump. She's got everything that you can't very well see unless you look at the chicklets. And damn it, I've got the, the comments blocking it again. There's a full pole distance from fourth to fifth. Those two, those are two very separated packs of horses when they hit the backstretch there. Um, Aaron called it out. I'm going to rewind it again back to the start. It, Luis Saez did a masterful job getting Queen Goddess to settle because she was pulling initially and wanted to go. And the fact that you brought it up too, he got her to settle 
not go right up on the front and just sit too wide into that turn. Uh, he was able to get her to calm down, and, and that's exactly what did it. One of my concerns with her, Mike, was this was a mile in the 16th race. Her best races were mile in the 8th, mile in the quarter out west. I thought, man, the mile in the 16th, they might just be a little too quick for her at that distance. But the fact that she was sitting just off of a hot pace and had that much of a gap to Wakanaka, Shanasara, and uh, Lady Rockstar, I think that that stamina that she had built up, I think that's what helped her kick on and keep off Shanasara. Um, let's talk about it. The nine horse Shanna Sarah. I'll fast forward a little bit here. I thought the stretch run showed that she's, did we get the bounce back race from her that we were looking for? Cause she had very much failed last time out. I thought it was a good race from Shanna Sarah. I, I mean, just faced a horse that got a, a more forwardly placed trip on a course that favors speed and, and did everything she could to run down. Clearly was the best horse from the back of the pack. And you just ran out of time here. I mean, she's still closing in on, on queen goddess here going toward the end. So I, I thought this was a, a good effort. I, I wouldn't knock her for this race. I, I thought she ran well and just was kind of up against it here. Uh, a first career hundred digit buyer for Queen Goddess or triple digits gets a 100 for the job. Uh, but you see a 96 for Shanna Sarr, a third career best number there. So she had a nice return there. Lady Rockstar, I thought was good. I think we just discovered, you know, she's she's not of the caliber of Shanna Sarr and uh, maybe it was just too far back to catch Queen Goddess like that. But still good horses there. Um, you know what? We both like Shanna Star here. Five to two, I was thinking there might be something wrong because it's the Chad Brown favorite in, on the morning line in a turf race, and I, she's not getting bet. But uh, I don't think – I think that that's more of a sign maybe, Mike. She's not Chad Brown's A horse, right? Like by the time the season's done, we'll be like, yeah, she was second or third tier. In Italian, we have, we've got her waiting in the barn still. Well, considering the other money that came in here too, five, two to five, or five to two isn't, isn't that – bad right i mean i'm i was surprised wakanaka got bet down from five to one to two to one i didn't think wakanaka would be the favorite in this race i thought queen goddess going off at 420 to one's a little seemed a little short to me before the race as well so you had other horses in here that took money delica floats up from five to two to five to one um but it, you you had the money pretty evenly spread out between those top five uh, and i was surprised wakanaka went off the favorite i thought shantasar should have been the favorite in this spot uh final thoughts just overall on the card were there any other races or horses that stood out to you specifically from this card um i think we have to think about endorsed a little bit more i thought that was a pretty good effort from endorsed in the fred hooper uh i had this one third i only went too deep i was pretty pissed at myself about that <laughs> we kind of made fun of endorsed for a while I think we start having to give put a little respect back on Nidor's name because I, I thought this was a pretty impressive effort to be able to win. Not like a world beater field here, um, but I thought Nidor's did do a good job to, to get to get the win here and, and kind of stumbled at the break there, got shuffled a little bit, but was still clearly the best horse in this spot. So I want to give some love to Nidor's. I thought this was a pretty good effort. Hey, he was uh, he was my second up here when I went three deep. And the, that, the other horses that I picked, they didn't show up uh, just like any Safi horse. But uh, the nine endorsed, I loved him here. Uh, it was his third start off of the, a longer or a bit of a layoff. Um, the last two starts that he'd made, he just looked like he was a different horse and how he was running. He looked like when he was at his absolute best that that's, you know, the kind of horse we were seeing. And this is now seven starts at Gulfstream. Uh, sorry, eighth start at Gulfstream, seven in the money finishes, three wins, two seconds, two thirds. The only time he was off the board was he was fourth last year in the Pegasus World Cup behind a decidedly better field. There was life is good, Nick's go and Stiletto Boy in third. So uh, to me, I thought that he made a lot of sense. You just had to trust, Mike, that he wasn't going to revert back to the endorse that we saw for so long when he was a five and six year old. And if that's what's kept you off of him, you and, and anybody else, I understand because he was stepping back up. 
Um, Aaron did make a good point. There, there were a lot of like state bred stakes winners here in Safi horses that were stepping up the Peter Walder horse, taking a big step up after uh, magically improving in his previous two starts. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, it should have been so obvious for endorse because he just maybe was the class of the field, but then that's how you get to him. I don't know. Yeah. Look, this isn't a world beater of a field, but I thought this effort was still pretty solid being able to grind it out. And we, we talked about how fast I specifically talked about how fast I thought this pace would be. They went 23.46. I thought you were going to see high 22s, low 45s. And, and so uh, for Endorse to be able to kind of sit right behind that and make that move, I thought was good. I don't want him in a grade one. I'm not going crazy about Endorse, but I think we got to put a little respect on his name. Chris says his horse is now on a two-race win streak after losing 23 straight races. <laughs> that sounds about right. That sounds like Endorsed. Yeah, well, it's a new day for Endorsed. Uh, it's weird because it's not even like Maker just got him two starts ago. I mean, Maker just was like, "We'll give you time off, and if you don't do this, we're gonna snip your balls off." And he was like, "Oh, okay, I'm gonna do better." I'm running. running, Watch, watch how fast I go when you threaten me like that. Uh, Like I mentioned, stall wall. Ooh, ooh, motivation, baby. Oof, yeah, no kidding. Uh, Over at RacingDudes.com, I brought it up earlier, but if you haven't uh, had a chance to go watch yet, after we get out of here. Uh, Aaron did a video com- discussing the comparisons between Arabian Night. Could he be the next American Pharaoh? Uh, both Bob Baffert trainees both won their three-year-old debuts. In pre- well, I say impressively in the slop at Oakland Park by, by a lengthy margin, we'll call it, uh, in the slop at Oakland Park. Uh, but go check that out. If you are watching us live here on YouTube, just stay tuned. It'll actually just segue right over to that once we get out of here. I sh- it should lead right into that one. But, uh, Mike, I'm glad that you had a good time at Gulfstream Park at Pegasus World Cup. I'm glad you got to go with the uh, – Papa Bomb, and you guys had a good time. Did you find the Casamigos, I assume? A little bit. It wasn't too crazy. Got to give a shout-out to Marlon. He was uh, buying me some whiskey there on Saturday. I uh, appreciate him just kind of coming up, dropping the glass, saying what's up, and uh, saying hi. Uh, so it was good to meet him nice. as well. It was it was a fun weekend. Uh, I had a little more Casamigos after the race than I did before the races, which is generally a good thing when you're betting as well. Uh, but, yeah, it's just fun <laughs> to be at the track. I, I love being at the track no matter where it is. And Gulfstream Park is one of those places that I, I personally really like. So it was nice to go down there and uh, and be able to see everybody and say what's up to a lot of the, the tournament players that I play with. And got to meet uh, David Wolf, who beat me last weekend for the 110,000. Oh. Uh, so it was nice to say hi to him and uh, talk how to him was about, that? How, about his was experience. It, was, it, was it awkward? No, it wasn't. I mean, we, we he shot me a DM on Twitter after that said, hey, great tournament, man. Tough luck on the odds change. And, and you know, he, he played a great tournament as well. Was able to pick back-to-back yeah. place winners, put him over the top after being able to get himself in position to be able to, to pick the horses he was able to. So, uh, yeah, it was it was fun meeting him and just saying hi. And he was obviously very excited about the win and uh, happy about the ad, uh, odds drop. But but definitely mentioned, hey, man, tough, tough break. And, you know, that's part of horse racing. So it's just fun to kind of Put names with faces because you, you see these leaderboards and the tournaments that you play in all the time and to be able to get in one of those rooms and have people reach out and say hey what's up you know i'll be there too be able to go find them and, and say hi it's, it's fun and uh, his wife shirley finished one spot behind me in the nhc final table last year so it was uh, fun to talk to her last year and then have this happen be able to meet him this year so it's uh it's just part of the cool part of the tournament aspect that i love uh I, dr tang i'm sure was asking you all day about it and all weekend but how was it meeting uh wwe diva legend summer ray she was the uh, co-host of the ABR Live show. It was fun doing a show with her. She was very entertaining through the process. Uh, the jink- drinks were flowing on set, which made the last part of it uh, pretty funny as well. She tried her first cigar ever on set, which was 
uh, entertaining in and of itself is just because anytime someone tries a cigar for the first time, it generally doesn't go well. So no, uh, you did not inhale, which is obviously a positive because if you're drunk and you inhale a cigar, it's game over. So luckily that didn't happen, but it was, it was a lot of fun. It was fun to have the rotating guests in and out. And, uh, she definitely, definitely makes things a little more interesting on set. Well, that's good. As long as it's fun, like you don't have to have, uh, you know, everyone on set be an expert. You just need everybody to be entertaining. Uh, and you know that's why this works, right? We're I was thinking about it. We're like the uh, the fun, a more fun version of Greenberg and Golick. You've got the expert that knows what the hell they're talking about, and you've got the pretty one that says something. So <laughs> that, the lead will show off. That's a, you got to work on your transitions a little better. That's that's one of Greeny's strengths. Listen, that is true. Greeny's good at that one. Uh, you were very good at the turn. <laughs> You're very good. Yes, a little bit. You're very good at the uh, the football picks as well. Uh, a lot more like Golick than Greenberg. Um, real quick, your football thoughts uh, for both the weekend and then your very early uh, Super Bowl, whatever the hell number it is, picks. Uh, it's a tough championship weekend to watch those games and to have the four best teams in the final four and have both go- games go the way they did. I-, I enjoyed it a lot. I had the Eagles and Chiefs, so it was uh, good from a betting perspective there. Uh, the Eagles are clearly better than the Niners with or without Purdy. And, and I think you got to at least mention, look, they knocked Purdy out of the game on a clean hit because they were consistently getting pressure on him. It wasn't like the guy just fell over on the sidelines or was riding a bike and pulled his hammy or something. Part of football is being able to get to the quarterback and hit them to affect the game. You never want to see someone get hurt. Uh, but that was tough to watch in the second half because San Francisco had no options. They had no one on the, on the sideline who was able to throw the football anymore. Eagles were able to put nine men in the box and just stuff the run. So if you're an in-game better, it was a great opportunity because you could get Eagles minus 13 and a half for a lot of the third quarter. And that was a really fun bet uh, because San Francisco wasn't scoring again after after you saw Josh Johnson <laughs> get hurt and come out of that game. The Bengals-Chiefs game was, was wild to me because it, it felt like if the Chiefs had lost that game, they would have been wildly pissed off. Up 13-3, get the pick, don't convert, was getting the ball back in the second half. You told the Chiefs, they're up 13-3, two and a half minutes left in the first half with the ball at the 50 and they're getting the kickoff that they were going to be tied at 13 with 10 minutes left in the third quarter, they would have been furious, right? I mean, that that stretch was one where you want to see them absolutely put their foot on Cincy's throat, and they did not do that. They let Cincinnati back in that game. From a penalty perspective, I know the refs got a lot of heat in this game, and they deservingly so. It was very poorly communicated and, and definitely poorly officiated in a few spots. Uh, but I don't think you can really argue that was 100% a roughing the passer on the last play. That was a bonehead penalty that you never should take. If I was a Cincy fan, I'd be more pissed that you didn't see Clark get that same penalty when he pushed Burrow in the end zone about eight plays before that. And that probably should have been roughing the passer, too, based on the way they've called the game. So uh, I think Kansas City probably got more favorably breaks on the on the on the officiating end. Uh, But you still can't push Mahomes when he's touched the sideline three times with his feet. Like it just it's going to get called every time. And so if you expect it not to, I don't know what you've been watching for 16 weeks, because that's 100 percent getting called every time. It's funny because you can tell on Twitter <laughs> in a DQ or a sports bet exactly who they have based on how people react to the, the flag or the, the, the DQ or non-DQ. So uh, sometimes the gambling emotions get in, get in the way of people's common sense. But it, to, for the level of hype, it was tough to watch both those games end the way they did. Uh, Super Bowl-wise, um, look, the line open minus 2.5 for Kansas City. I have Kansas City minus 2 if everyone's healthy. Everyone's not healthy right now, though, and that's that's really what the key is going to be here over the next two weeks is how healthy can the wide receiver room get for Kansas City? Not a great sign they signed someone off their practice squad at wide receiver today. Not what you're looking for if you, if you want that wide receiver room to get a lot healthier. Uh, I think you have to focus on both Gay and Snead in the defensive side for Kansas City. 
They're very important to that defense if they want to be able to stop Philadelphia. I've got a ton of Chiefs liability, so I bet the Eagles plus two as soon as those lines popped up in a lot of places. Not necessarily a pick, but because I have Chiefs plus 750 to win the Super Bowl. I have New Holmes plus 450 Super Bowl MVP. I wanted to cover some of that based on what I saw. I would lean toward Philly right now, but I want to see what the injury reports say. I don't think you have to rush to the windows because I don't. there's so much money in this market already. If you look at the limits, the limits are already five figures in most online books. So these are pretty mature markets. I don't think you're ever going to see Kansas City three. If you do, I would bet Kansas City. I don't think you're ever going to see plus money on the on the Eagle side as well. So I think you're going to see this fluctuate between one and a half and two and a half for the next two weeks. So it's going to be a lot of fun leading up to the Super Bowl. It's the best team against the best player. We'll see who wins. I have uh, been on the Eagles for uh, probably the last six weeks or so. Really hoping this is with you. I had the uh, uh, I had Jalen Hurts all year in fantasy. I had both running backs and the top receiver for the Chiefs uh, yesterday's game, Valdez Gaming, uh on my fantasy. I was looking. I was like, hey, you know what? All I had to do to pick my Super Bowl teams is just look at who's been best for me in fantasy. That should have been a tip off. But uh, we've got two weeks still to the Super Bowl. There'll be plenty of content about the Super Bowl, prop bets, uh, player bets, all that stuff leading up to it as well. And of course, with uh, the dudes who bet sports. One more thing real quick. I have made one bet on the Super Bowl that is not a cover wager. First player to be shown. So there's a bet, right, for the National Anthem and for America the Beautiful. There are prop markets for what team will be shown first, what a player or a coach from what team, right? I bet Kansas City Chiefs minus 125 in the uh, America the Beautiful and Kansas City Chiefs minus 115 for the National Anthem. Here's the thinking. The top three most note recognizable people in this game are all in Kansas City. Mahomes, Andy Reid, Travis Kelsey. Yeah. After that, you could make an argument. Jalen Hurts is third, maybe Sirianni. Or Jalen Hurts is, is either third, fourth. Sirianni is probably fifth. But if you look at the the uh, other markets for that same thing, a specific player head-to-head, Mahomes is minus 175 to be shown before Hurts. Reid is minus 155 to show, be shown before Sirianni. You're getting the three top headliners to be shown first during a song. It is a single box like we are right now on the TV at a smaller number than any of them specifically against their counterpart on the other sidelines. I would be shocked if you don't see one of the chiefs players or coaches shown first during those times, because they're going to be the headliners. It's going to be Mahomes and Reed. That's what everyone's going to be talking to heading into this thing. So I think there's value as a chiefs player coach shown first during both the national anthem and America's beautiful. Boy, you're a bunch of DJs. You're a bunch of dirty DJs. Betting on who's going to be the first person shown on TV. You're supposed to be respecting America and the flag, and you're just sitting there going, "All right, get this, get her off the screen." I want. Assuming it's girls sing that I get her off the screen. I want to see who's going to be first. The country artist this year who has never sung the national anthem. I spent about twenty-five minutes trying to search YouTube for one instance of this man singing the national anthem, so I could bet the over/under prop on the length of the national anthem. Currently sitting at two minutes and two seconds. I would lean over because it was 2.12 last year, and we've consistently gone over two minutes, uh, but I would lean the over there. I think the Gatorade color is interesting, too, because you can get a good number on both green and red, which are the team's colors, like plus 550 or higher. Orange is like the, the go-to generally, but it feels like you could see a, a red here if the Chiefs win, and you get a significantly better number on that than them winning the Super Bowl. Uh, Rob says worse than betting on the Royal Rumble, which by the way, that was going to be my best bet Saturday show was the, the wrestling Royal Rumble thing that was happening. Uh, we didn't do it just because we didn't want to scare you off the show forever, Mike. But, uh, I will say Aaron and I went a perfect three for three with our Royal Rumble bets. It was very easy when it's just all scripted and all you have to do is figure out 
what are they going to do story-wise? What kind of makes... You're not guessing exactly like, you know, Marvel's plan 10 movies down the road. You're like, will Iron Man survive Iron Man the movie? Yes. Okay, boom. It's as easy as that. So, uh, listen, we've got... Ant-Man survive? Ant-Man Quantumania? Oh, boy. Now, that is a good discussion to have. We'll have to say for another show, Mike. We're already over an hour. Darn, too bad. Uh, we want to thank everybody for joining us. We had a great show, great time with you in the chat. Tons of you watching. It's great. Um, we had so much positive response for the uh, Pegasus World Cup live stream that we did. Mike was able to jump in when he could. Aaron and I were here. Uh, if you haven't yet, subscribe to the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash racing dudes. It is exploding in terms of the number of subscribers, which is incredible. It's amazing. We're building this community. We want to keep seeing you in the live chat and the comments for all the videos, the live shows that we do. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Kellowart. He's at Summer Bomb 18, number one, number eight. Corporate Overlords at racing underscore dudes. Again, if you haven't yet, tweet at racing underscore dudes. Let Jared know exactly what you thought about Corona Bolt's effort in the Southwest States. He wants to hear from you. I promise. Uh, make sure you let him know. Final thoughts before we get out of here, Mike. Uh, Curtis mentioning he's looking to bet tails. Make sure you shop this. You can get minus 101 on some sites right now. It's my, as high as minus 105 on others. So you can get a better price on the coin flip depending on where you shop. That is true. I've seen that. Then uh, there's your final dirty DJ comment for the day. We'll be back Thursday to preview. Uh, I assume we'll be back at Gulfstream. They got a bunch of graded stakes on Saturday for their late pick five at five Eastern on Thursday. Until then, I'm Magic. And I'm Mike. Good luck this week. We'll see you Thursday. The Magic Mike Show, where you hear the experts speak. The Magic Mike Show, tune into the show every week. The Magic Mike Show, you can trust the show is the bomb because it's being brought to you by RacingDudes.com.